0: Again, we'll be reading from Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. May the Lord bless the
1: reading of His word. Good Morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. Last weekend, um, my family was out of town taking our our daughter to college. Uh, being our first child, uh, starting college was a very emotional experience. Uh, for Millie that is. <laughs> I tell you, I think it, my wife gave our daughter more, more hugs throughout that weekend than she had the whole year uh, while she was still at home. Uh, I wasn't as emotional. I think for fathers, we get more emotional getting the tuition bill. Um, <laughs> you know, I they charge fees for this and this, and you know, the bookstores, like, they charge over $100 just to rent a textbook, and you don't even get to keep it. But, you know, going through um, new parent and student orientation, um, of course they want to prop up the school. Uh, but, you know, one thing that really impressed me was just how much those who presented genuinely seemed to enjoy being there. You know, they'll, they'll probably tell you, you know, it's the greatest school around, although I'm sure those of you who went to different universities would beg to differ. Um, but you could get a sense how much the faculty and staff who, you know, just loved the work that they did and were glad that they were working there. Um, you know, they, the, um, the teaching that they were able to do, the research they were able to do, the relationships they were able to build both with the, you know, other faculty, as well as the students. You know, it just made you get excited and want to work there. You know, from the president of the college all the way down to the associate deans, the admin staff, they were all very good at propping up the school, boasting about how great it is, you know, it just make, getting you excited, to want to be there. And, you know, as we get into the message for this morning, the question I want us to consider is, what is it that people say we would boast in? And as you've heard And then you can tell from the scripture reading we've reached uh, the final sermon in our Galatians series. Uh, Next week, as you also heard of your earlier, Dr. Arthur's will be officially starting. And he'll be sharing a little bit about his testimony and tying it in with the next series that we're going to be starting, which is on 1 Thessalonians. And as you heard, the last section of Galatians read... If you're familiar with some of Paul's other biblical letters, you probably noticed that this ending is a little bit different than many of the other letters. As verse 11 states, Paul, as he typically does, finishes dictating what he wants to his scribe, then takes his own pen and starts to write the conclusion. But typically, Paul is used his other letters to do things like send greetings to other people, to his friends in those churches, to... As ask for prayer from the church, they give a doxology. But if you notice, when Emily was reading the scripture, there's none of that here. Instead, Paul masterfully uses these eight verses, and he writes them in large letters, as he says, to sum up what he has been saying throughout the letter. And in doing so, Paul provides a very appropriate way for us to conclude this series. Even if you weren't here to listen to any of the other messages Today, you know, after the service, you should be able to walk away having a very good idea why Paul wrote Galatians and why it's relevant even today. Uh, because we're observing uh, communion today, there's a lot, you know, for me to cover today, but uh, I'm going to have a shorter time to go through it because of communion, so I'm just going to kind of go through my notes uh, pretty quickly. Uh, just to remind you of the context of the letter, apparently what was going on in the Church of Galatia was that Paul got a report I was alarmed by what was happening in the church. He had heard that there were several false teachers infiltrating the church, trying to win the members over to their side. And what was their side? What was it that they were trying to get um, the people to do? They wanted to get people to adhere to the law. So the thing they were boasting about was adherence to the law. Sorry, I don't uh, don't have my clicker. If You could um, just flip to the next point. So Paul's opponents wanted to adhere to the law. Verse 12 reads, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. And understand, it wasn't just circumcision that was the issue, but what circumcision was part of, and that was part of the Old Testament covenant. You see, what was going on was that these false teachers were Jewish believers who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, But they were also convinced that to fully be accepted by God, you had to follow the Old Testament laws. It wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus. You had to to adhere to things like circumcision, you know, kosher dietary laws, the Sabbath. They would argue that this is what God asked of His chosen people, you know, the Jews back in the Old Testament. So He continues to ask a bit to those who want to be part of his chosen people now. And we'll see in a few minutes why this is wrong, but Paul uses this verse in the next to not only point out the erroneous teaching, but also expose these false teachers for who they really are, revealing their motivations and methods. You would tell the Galatians, you might think these people are really sincere, trying to convince you of what they believe in, but they couldn't be further from the truth. They aren't motivated by a quest for truth, they're motivated by two things. The first is external appearance, external appearance. He writes again in the first part of verse 12, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you. What was most likely going on back then was that you had these false teachers infiltrating the church, but they didn't come up with this concept on their own. There were conservative Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who held these false doctrines and maybe even some Jewish leaders who were influencing these teachers. There was thought that maybe even some of these people traveled to Galatia to make sure that their message was being spread. So as such, it makes sense that Paul would want to warn the audience that these men weren't trying to force the Galatians to be circumcised for the benefit of the Galatians. They just wanted to get them circumcised to look good in front of those watching them. And so related to this is the second motivation which is to avoid persecution. Clifford, you need to click like a couple of times. (laughs) Thank you. The second part of verse 12 reads: the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So you see, these false teachers not only want us to look good in front of their teacher, their supervisors, those watching over them, but they knew what would happen on the opposite, and if they didn't obey, that, that if they didn't promote this doctrine, these Jewish, Jewish zealots watching over them would persecute them. And of course, they didn't want to have any part of that. So the second motivation they had in preaching this doctrine was to avoid persecution. And then Paul, Paul, also pokes holes in their methods. The next slide. They argue that though they may appear wanting to be genuine and helping you to be fully accepted by God, they're actually hypocrites? Because what they tell you to do, they can't do themselves. In the first part of verse 13, Paul writes, Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. These people argue that one must follow the Old Testament law in order to gain greater acceptance by God. But as everyone who's tried to follow the law realizes sooner or later is you can't fully obey the law. You know, one may get circumcised and that's good, but they'll fail in other areas. So those who follow this belief are prone to, you know, are are prone to think, well, I hope I've obeyed enough laws to be accepted by God. I hope I've obeyed more than I've disobeyed. But they can't know for sure. And we'll see once again in a bit why we don't need to have this view because this view turns out to be very hypocritical because you can't do what you're telling others to do and then Paul sums up his opponent's methods by revealing that the purpose behind what they do is really self-focused the second part of verse 14 they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh Well, then they may seem like they're doing it because they care for you but they don't they're doing this so that they can take pride in and brag to others about what they've accomplished. See how many converts we got to be circumcised? Look at what we've achieved. You know, now we're going to be in good standing with these Jewish uh, teachers from Jerusalem. So in these two verses, Paul shows that not only was the theology of their teachers flawed, but even the character and the motivation and the means and, and the methods that they used were also flawed. In contrast, Paul shares that while his opponents boast in adherence to the Mosaic Law, Paul, as we kind of sang in that song earlier, would only boast in the cross. Verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about the cross, you know, that's kind of a strange thing to boast in. Because back in Paul's time, The cross was the cruelest form of punishment one could receive. Some have gone so far to say that crucifixion was the worst form of punishment ever concocted by man. I heard other preachers preach on this passage. You share that boasting in the cross would be like someone today saying, you know, I boast in the electric chair, I boast in the gas chamber. So why would Paul want to boast in something so horrific? Because he recognized that all he had gained was a result of Christ's death on the cross. The second part of verse 14, May I never boast in the cross through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The result of the cross was that the penalty for Paul's sin had been paid. They were nailed to the cross with Jesus. The result of the cross was that Paul's relationship with God was reconciled. Paul no longer needed to wonder whether he had be- obeyed the law enough to earn favor with God. His salvation, every good thing he gained, was obtained through the cross of Jesus Christ. And related to this was Paul, who was motivated to boast only in the cross because he, knew the, because he, he recognized the meaninglessness of rituals. He writes in verse 13, 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything what counts as a new creation. If through the cross the things of this world have been crucified, then there's no purpose for things like circumcision. You see, unlike Paul's opponents, Paul understood that the Old Testament law never had the power to bring about salvation, nor could it. Paul spoke about this back in Galatians 3. He writes that the purpose of the uh, he shows in Galatians 3 that the purpose of the law is to reveal sin in our lives and increase our awareness of our need for our Savior. In verse 19 of chapter 3, reading from uh, the New Living Translation, he says, Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was only designed to last until the coming of the child who was promised. And then he adds in verse 21 to 22, if the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus. So they they tell you to follow the law because you need to do it to be accepted by Christ or to earn favor with God, Paul teaches that there was never the purpose. It shows us how far we are from obtaining favor with God and how we can't earn it because we can't obey the law properly. And so because of Paul's recognition that all he gained was obtained solely by the cross of Christ, this made him others-focused. Unlike his other, his opponents who were self-focused, Paul was motivated by his love for others and an understanding of their need for the gospel. And I see this in the last part of verse 15 when he says, What counts is a new creation. And there are two aspects to this new creation that Paul speaks of. First is the individual aspect, which we most likely hear of when we hear the term new creation. You know, we think of a new creation knowing that one receives salvation through the work of Jesus. So each individual must make a decision either for or against Jesus. And if they make a you know, decision for Jesus, they become a new creation. And Paul works hard at this. He writes in First Corinthians 9, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I might win some for Jesus. But there's a second aspect, and that's a corporate one. Remember that these false Jewish teachers were going around trying to get the Gentile Christians to, you know, more or less adhere to Jewish law. So in one sense, they were leading these Gentile believers to convert and follow Jewish customs, Jewish, you know, national uh, pride, things that, you know, Jews took pride in in order to be saved. They were telling them that, you know, Jewish nationalism and customs still mattered. But in writing of A New Creation, Paul argues against this. Throughout Galatians, he teaches that through the cross, God formed this new creation, which includes Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, male and female. So racial, social, and gender differences no longer mattered. God was reconciling all peoples to himself through the cross. And therefore, you know, cultural boundaries... Ethnic pride, these things no longer mattered. So while Paul, Paul pointed out the insincerity of his opponents, Paul confirmed his sincerity through his efforts to spread the gospel so that others might be saved and we might have this reconciled community from all races and genders and social economic status. And another way he confirmed his sincerity was that while these false teachers did what they did to avoid persecution, Paul's conviction was that he should accept persecution in order to spread the gospel. Verse 17, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What Paul refers to here is the beatings, the stonings, the hunger, the imprisonments that he encountered, that he endured while spreading the gospel. Paul would tell these teachers, uh you know, the Gentiles to laugh at these false teachers who tell you to um adhere to their beliefs, yet they run away from persecution. And he would tell the truth, you can see I am true to what I believe by what I have endured. The cross had radically transformed Paul, so now Paul lives to radically live, transformed and to boast only in the cross so as we consider the implications of this passage for us it goes back to the earlier question of what would people say we boasted now maybe you don't really see this question as an issue because most of you I I would guess more or less are not very boastful people to begin with you don't boast about anything so you don't have a problem with boasting about things other than the cross but another way the word both can be translated as exultant or rejoicing. So another way to ask the question is, what is it that people would say you find your joy in? What is it that people would say brings you satisfaction? Is it in the cross? Maybe like Paul's opponents, you feel external pressure from the outside. You know, obviously you don't feel external pressure to, you know, get circumcised or follow Jewish law. So you feel external pressure to keep up with the people's lifestyles you see around you. You feel the pressure to work hard to achieve a certain level of finance, finances or career status you think you need to be happy. Maybe you feel external pressure when you compare your kids with others and you feel the need you know, to make sure that they get involved in this activity or have these lessons in order to be well-rounded like these other kids or have a better chance of getting into college? What if you didn't achieve these things? Would external appearances matter to you? And it's not that these things in themselves are necessarily wrong, but one thing in verse 14 is that it's interesting that Paul wanted to boast in nothing else except the cross. Other versions say, I only want to boast solely in the cross. The Greek uses the word meginoito, which is the strongest term in, uh, in that language, to say, may it never be, may it never be I boast in anything else except the cross. It wasn't cross, the cross in my career accomplishments. It wasn't the cross in my family. It was only in the cross. I mean, can you imagine if Paul had like a Facebook page or Instagram account, the things he would be posting? You know, you would think he'd be posting photos like, oh, here I am at the Jordan River. This is so cool where Jesus got baptized. Or, you know, this is me in front of in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus prayed. You know, I don't think he would do any of that stuff. Based on this passage, I think he would post things like, Here's me and Onesimus. You may not know Onesimus, but he was a slave and he just ran away from his master, but I found him and I shared the gospel with him and he became a Christian and now he's going back to be reconciled with his master. Praise God. You know, from verse 17, here's a picture of the scar I got. Look at the scar I just got. I got it from being flogged by, you know, while in prison in Rome for preaching the gospel. You know, praise Jesus. You know, sometimes for us we even like to boast about Our knowledge, but this doesn't even matter to Paul. In verse 15, once again, he writes, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. You know, of course, requiring circumcision was the incorrect view, but Paul, I think, intentionally added the uncircumcision part so that people also wouldn't have an inflated view of that, even though that was the correct view. You don't want people to boast because they could give the most convincing argument why uncircumcision was the correct view, or they were able to write a thesis, you know, on why 50 reasons why uncircumcision is correct. You know, Paul would say the only thing to boast in is the cross. After conversion, this was Paul's sole aim, to boast about the cross so that others could see the results of the cross in Paul's life. And for them to learn about this word so that Christ could transform their lives as well. And understand that boasting in the craft doesn't mean that one needs to be obnoxious, you know, yelling, Jesus, yelling about Jesus from the street corners or sticking Jesus in front of all your friends' faces. But it does mean you care enough to want to tell them because you know the need and you know what matters is a new creation. <clears throat> you know, if you've been watching the news, the top story this week, of course, has been on the death of John McCain. And unless listening. some of the tributes made to him watching some of the services, I was moved uh, by Larry Fitzgerald's eulogy for Senator McCain. I don't know if you know who Larry Fitzgerald is, but he's an all-pro wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. And McCain and Fitzgerald formed an unlikely friendship, which began even during uh, Fitzgerald's rookie year with the Cardinals, even before he became an all-pro wide receiver. Let me read part of what he shared during the service, and I'm sure you can find the entire eulogy online. He said, many people might wonder what a young African-American kid from Minnesota and a highly decorated Vietnam War hero turned United States Senator might have in common. Well, I thought of a few. I'm black, he's white. I'm young, he's not so young. He lived with physical limitations brought on by war. I'm a physic- I'm a professional athlete. He ran for president, I ran out of bounds. He was the epitome of toughness, and I do everything I can to avoid contact. I have four locks, and well, he did, he didn't. How does this unlikely pair friend, become friends? I've asked myself the same question. But you know what the answer is? That's just who he is. And this highlights the very rare and special qualities of Senator McCain that I came to deeply admire. <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't judge individuals based on the color of their skin, their gender, their backgrounds, their political affiliations, or their bank accounts. He evaluated them on the merits of their character and the contents of their hearts. What made Senator McCain so special was that he cared about the substance of my heart more so than where I came from. I love that last line. He cared about the substance of my heart more so than where I came from. You know, even if you're very introverted and you don't have a charismatic personality, you can exult in Jesus and boast about Jesus by caring about the substance of people's hearts. Now, i fight taking a daughter to college got delayed so I was sitting on, uh, you know, one of those long counters they have at the airports doing some work. And because they had an additional hour to, to just wait, I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to talk about, to talk to the person sitting next to me on his laptop. So I, you know, he looked like a college student. So I asked him, you know, oh, are you a college student? Are you going back to school? And he told me that he actually attended school here at Northeastern. He was a fifth year Farm D student. And he shared that his home was he was actually from California, but he was on the same flight as me because he was meeting his family who were dropping off the younger brother who was also starting at my daughter's college. If he talked a little more, yes, asked what I did, and I said, oh, you know, I, I work at a church now. And we continued talking, and I had the opportunity to ask him if he attended any church or fellowship on campus. And he said he didn't. He said his family didn't attend church going up, but that, he started thinking about God and he wasn't sure. You know, he had a lot of questions. And I shared with him, you know, no matter where he was at, I said, that's fine. I told him, you know, our church, we believe that whether people realize it or not, we're all on some type of spiritual journey. And we as members of our church just want to come alongside people and support them in their walk and help them with any questions they might have. And he listens to me and he's like, wow, you know, that's really cool. And you know, I hope all of you who come to Crossbridge regularly and call this church you home will resonate with what I just said. Because we have been transformed by the cross and we know that what counts is a new creation Individually, we want to exalt in the cross by coming alongside individuals and walk with them in their spiritual journeys. Helping them wherever we can, pointing them to Jesus wherever we can. Corporately, as we recognize that the cross breaks down all racial, socio-economic, and gender barriers, we want to be the cross bridge and seek to learn how to build better bridges across these lines. This is the challenge for us as a congregation, as Crossbridge, if we truly want to be Crossbridge and not just have this name. So would people outside of your Christian circles, or maybe even inside your Christian circles, see that you boast only in the cross, that you come alongside others, journey with them as they seek God and ask questions about whether God really exists and who this Jesus really is and do they see us working to cross gender, racial, socioeconomic lines to be this reconciling community that draws people to Christ and to the cross may we follow Paul example. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Galatians and for all this teaches us through it, all that you have taught us through it. Lord, we see and praise you that we are not saved through following the law, through works, because we can never follow, you know, achieve salvation through this. But thank you that through your love we have the cross to give us salvation. Lord, may we be people who boast only in the cross. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.